And I would like also to thank my husband, Fred, for letting me come. I love to say that because it irritates the women's livers more than anything I say. You must remember that when the Constitution was written, that women were regarded as property. The struggle for an Equal Rights Amendment traces back to 1923 when feminist Alice Paul wrote the words that became ERA. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. So as we march today, remember, forward together, backward never. If you could change one thing about the Constitution, what would it be? I would add an Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. Today, the House of Representatives cleared a hurdle to make the Equal Rights Amendment the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. The House voted to remove a deadline for states to ratify the amendment, which would guarantee women the same legal rights as men. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, human rights attorney, feminist, and advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. And this is Ordinary Equality. We left off last week in a pretty good spot. The ERA had just passed in Congress with 93% of legislators voting for it. And tonight, after a 49-year struggle, a constitutional amendment appears on the way proclaiming once and for all that women have all the same rights as that other sex. There was an unfortunate deadline snuck into the proposing clause of the amendment to deal with, but all in all, things were looking good. The majority of Americans in both political parties were in favor of ratification. 22 states immediately ratified the ERA when it was passed in Congress in 1972. So what happened? With all that early momentum, why didn't it make it across the finish line? Today we're talking about the vocal minority that managed to bring the ERA to its knees. The opposition was composed of a variety of conservative forces including religious movements. It was much larger than one woman. Still, it's irrefutable that one woman played an outsized role in the ERA's 1970s demise. Enter our anti-hero, a foot soldier for the patriarchy who helped take down the primary objective of the feminist movement, anti-ERA activist extraordinaire, Phyllis Schlafly. Would you welcome Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly. My special guest tonight is Phyllis Schlafly. You know, my mother was an outlier. That's Anne Schlafly Corey, Phyllis Schlafly's daughter, who's taken on her mother's mantle. In the beginning of forging a path for conservative women in politics, and there weren't too many conservative women in politics in the 60s and 70s. And she forged this path and created an opening and an opportunity for now that we have, and now we have many conservative women in politics today. But she was shaking up the Republican Party on the values of conservative women and what conservative women were interested in. As the women's movement grew, so did its opponents. And Phyllis led the charge. So where did she come from? Phyllis got her undergraduate degree from Radcliffe, 
the sister school of the then all-male Harvard. During World War II, when she was in her early 20s, she worked as a ballistics gunner and technician at the largest ammunition plant in the world. She was literally a Rosie the Riveter. After the war, Phyllis went back to presenting herself as the picture of domesticity. She wore impeccable 1950s housewife outfits and had a perfectly coiffed beehive hairdo. After having six children, Phyllis went from 1950s housewife to law student. She got her law degree from Washington University School of Law in St. Louis. She graduated at the top of her class in 1978, the same year the original ERA deadline was extended in Congress. Today, President Carter signed the extension for ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment anyway, simply as a gesture, he said, to show how strongly he felt about it and how much he supported extending the time until 1982. Phyllis and Anne remind me of many women I grew up with and around. As I talked about in episode one, I was raised in a conservative Mormon community, and my mom and grandmother actively opposed the ERA on orders from the church. My grandmother is still against it to this day. Phyllis was bright and talented. She saw that people in power fought to keep women in tightly prescribed gender roles and she decided to join the winning team. Phyllis was extremely conservative and ambitious. She twice ran for Congress in Illinois. Both times, she lost to a male opponent. At the 1960 Republican National Convention, she helped lead a revolt of, quote, moral conservatives who opposed Richard Nixon's stance against segregation and discrimination. Then she turned her attention to the crown jewel of the women's liberation movement, what she saw as a threat to the very fabric of American family values, the ERA. Schlafly started a group called STOP ERA. S-T-O-P was an acronym for Stop Taking Our Privileges. And she traveled around the country giving speeches, participating in debates, and frustrating other women by saying outlandishly sexist things like her statement at the top of the show. And it has fallen to our responsibility to be the leader to tell you how feminism has been such a destructive force in our society. Phyllis encouraged her anti-ERA activists to use traditional symbols of American housewifery in their advocacy. Critics like Betty Friedan, feminist author of The Feminine Mystique and a leading figure in the women's movement, raised the fact that Phyllis herself wasn't really a typical housewife. She was actually an attorney and traveled the country full-time as an anti-ERA activist and public speaker. Not every woman, Phyllis, can waltz around the way you do, going to law school, leaving And, and your... you can, you can waltz around well, like I do, no, too. okay for you, but not for the ones coming after you, okay? And that's what I can't stand, the hypocrisy no of hypocrisy. someone who takes advantage of, of, of rights and opportunities and knows and is enjoying equality and then says, and Look, then I was uses equality. the very advantages I was, to I got a degree from Harvard that, 25 but, years ago. But, I was in equality with the men now. This is nothing new. Phyllis Schlafly was a communications genius and she was acutely aware of her role as a token female conservative spokesperson. She even wrote a book called The Flip Side of Feminism, What Conservative Women Know and Men Can't Say. She traveled the country debating famous feminists like Gloria Steinem, 
Betty Friedan, and Catherine McKinnon. I spoke with Catherine about that experience. After the ERA failed of ratification, I'd been talking to numbers of people about what I thought about equality and the way they were arguing it. And eventually, after it failed, they decided to let me try to debate Phyllis Schlafly, which I did. And my part of that debate is included in my book, Feminism Unmodified, which became something of a sensation. It, it, I mean, a lot of people were very interested in it. And we eventually did it again on television. And I mean, my main experience with the first go around of the Equal Rights Amendment was debating Phyllis Schlafly after it had already failed. That was the point at which the people who were in charge of forwarding it decided that maybe they could risk me having some visibility. I had a lot of respect for her political skills and for her background in general. And among the memorable points were when I said any man who had her qualifications would have been appointed to a high post in government by then, and that their foot was on her neck too. She calmly smiled and said, it was their loss, not hers. Uh, But it was something of a sensation in the room. Phyllis was tenacious and often underestimated by her debate opponents. I get Phyllis's type of hunger and ambition. I was also an ambitious girl raised in a thoroughly conservative community. My grandfather was a GOP state senator in North Dakota, though he wasn't in the legislature in 1975 when they voted to ratify the ERA. In college, I was an intern in D.C. for the Young Americas Foundation. They run the Reagan Ranch in California and train young conservatives across the country. I met Ann Coulter that summer, and I fangirled her. I wanted to be like her, strong, opinionated, powerful. It's hard to know how to channel that type of ambition as a young conservative woman. Phyllis was determined to promote her values, come hell or high water. The United Nations declared 1975 the International Women's Year, IWY. As a result, in January 1975, President Ford issued an executive order creating the National Commission on Observance of the International Women's Year. Congresswoman Patsy Mink, the first woman of color ever elected to Congress, introduced a bill and Congress approved $5 million in taxpayer contributions for both state and national conferences. That's $23.8 million in today's dollars. Mormons and other conservatives jumped on the IWI bandwagon, but not to support women's rights, to oppose them. Numerous events were held all over the country in the next two years. Each state held an IWI conference. Approximately 14,000 Mormon women and men crowded into the IWI conference in Salt Lake City in 1977. It was the largest conference of any of the states. They were instructed by church leaders to vote down all proposals. So they voted down everything, including the ERA and world peace and an anti-porn proposal. Essentially, they voted pro-porn because they were told to vote down everything. Mormons attempted to take over the IWI conferences in many other states, including the state of Washington. 
Mormon men with walkie-talkies instructed women on which meetings to attend and how to vote. Mormons comprised just 2% of the state's population, but they made an outsized impact at the convention. All of these 50 state conventions culminated in the National Women's Conference in November of 1977 in Houston, Texas. It was the pinnacle of the feminist movement at the time. Over 20,000 people were in attendance. Three first ladies and many activists spoke in favor of the ERA. First Lady of the United States, Betty Ford. By the end of this century, I hope this nation will be a place where men and women can freely choose their life's work without restriction and without ridicule. Meanwhile, Phyllis Schlafly led an alternate gathering, the, quote, pro-life, pro-family rally. This, among Schlafly's other organizing coups, pushed the Republican Party to the right, turned the tide, and led to the ERA's demise. What we're witnessing in Houston today is not the battle of the sexes. It is not even the battle between women. Though we have women divided into two different camps in America today, what we're witnessing is the battle of philosophies. Though Phyllis Schlafly died in 2016, her legacy lives on. I reached out to Anne Schlafly Corey, her youngest daughter. Anne is now the head of the Eagle Forum, the organization Phyllis founded after successfully running the ERA into the ground with the Stop ERA movement. Anne was cautious about taking the interview with me. One glimpse onto Twitter, and it's pretty clear where I stand on the ERA, and on abortion, among other issues. After a lengthy back and forth where I promised to be on my best behavior, Anne agreed to do the interview. It wasn't as tense as I thought it might be. In fact, we got along so well that it was mildly disconcerting, given our diametrically opposed political perspectives. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in another life we could be friends. <laughs> well, you know what? I have always found it it's important to um, have friendship on a human-to-human -human basis, not have only friends who agree with you 100%. What a boring life that is. Isn't the debate part of the fun? <laughs> okay, next time we're both in D.C., we'll get coffee. Great. Except for Mormons don't drink coffee. We'll get, we'll get tea. <laughs> Anne was in middle school at the height of her mother's Stop ERA campaign. It was exciting. There was always something going on. There were news people calling, there were supporters calling, there were activities and events that happened. I mean, it, it was a constant excitement uh, during the 1970s. It was almost like, what's gonna happen next? There was um, a thrill to the conversation at that time. As, uh, it seemed like so much was happening all the time. As the kid of the leader of the movement, Anne became a de facto intern and had a special job. My mother was a dynamic and forceful woman and had many appearances on TV explaining her views. And she was engaged in many debates. 
and it was always exciting to uh, watch her performances. My role in the 1970s was operator of our of our videotape machine, which was I always felt was pretty exciting because it was it was one of the first ones. So that I would tape every performance on TV. That uh, because at that time you couldn't watch it again later on. Either you had to tape it live. Like me. Anne had to balance the idea she was taught of women's role as leader of the home only and the example she saw in her mother's actions. Well, my mother did not go to law school until she was well in her 50s. Uh, so we actually, we, she, we would drive to school together. I think I was in middle school when she was going to law school. So she dropped me off to go, go to school, and then she would go to school, and then she'd take me back home. So, I mean, there's a certain, uh, um, <laughs> we were on the same path at that point of both being in school. My mother was at home because her, she worked out of a home office. Phyllis was a razor-sharp speaker. Natural aptitude was supplemented by significant work. My mother believed in practice makes perfect. And one of the secrets that she did in developing her organization and attracting people to her was to help train them. And she would help train them by taping their performances and then watching, reviewing, and critiquing the performances so that the next time they could be better. Anne also manages to always stay on message. She, like her mother, still opposes the Equal Rights Amendment. She recalled many of the original talking points about the ERA from the 1970s. We'll be right back after this message. A couple weeks ago, a friend and I were trying on clothes, and she looked at me with horror and said, what is that bra? It's so old, you have to get rid of it. I do not like bra shopping, like most people. But Third Love made it easy. The website is user-friendly, you just go on, it's easy to choose, and it's easy to see what size you are. I got my bra, and it's one of the most comfortable bras I've ever owned. The straps don't slip, there's no tag in the back. It's just really comfortable. Also, Third Love donates gently used bras to local charities in San Francisco and across the United States. So it's a win-win. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com equality to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your purchase. That's thirdlove.com equality for 15% off today. One of Phyllis's original arguments was that women would lose advantages and privileges if we were equal under the Constitution. She talked about what she saw as the perils of a gender-free society. Most of the original anti-ERA arguments that the Stop ERA movement peddled are now moot points, though opponents still trot them out. The major objection to the Equal Rights Amendment is that it would take away from women rights and privileges which they now have. Social Security has been gender inclusive for surviving spouses since the legal challenge in 1975. Family law is increasingly gender neutral, protecting the vulnerable spouses regardless of gender. Men can get alimony too. Will the ERA, if it is passed, help the marriage of homosexuals. Will they be able to get married under the law? 
Uh, I do not think that homosexuals should have the rights of husbands and wives, which are the rights to adopt children, to file joint income tax returns, or to but teach in the schools. Aren't they protected under the Constitution like every other American? The right Sure, to they, have free, the they have free speech, free press, and all that sort of thing. But they should not have the particular rights that belong to husbands and wives. Even if it makes them happy? Well, no. It may make you happy to commit all kinds of crimes. We don't you judge think homosexuality is a crime? Well, it is in many states, and uh, I do not think that perverts should have the rights that belong to husbands and wives. In case you missed it, marriage equality was already achieved nationally in 2015, and we didn't need the ERA to get it. Now, in the matter of the draft, uh, the Equal Rights Amendment will positively make women subject to the draft on an absolutely equal basis with men, and this means they'll be put in combat and on warships just like the men. Stop ERA activists protested dressed in combat fatigue, splashed with blood as wounded soldiers to gruesomely demonstrate their point. The Vietnam War had just ended, and many women were really afraid of being drafted since that was fresh on their minds. But we know today that women already serve at all levels of the military, including the front lines. In 2017, under the current administration, the Pentagon recommended that women be eligible for the Selective Service. A federal judge in 2019 already held that a male-only draft would be unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. Again, without the ERA. Okay, well, I would just like to say this has demonstrated that you're perfectly comfortable with a situation where you have no discrimination between men and women in regard to restrooms. And it's one thing where you're talking about planes or homes, but it is something else again when you're talking about grade schools. The whole same bathroom argument saw a recent resurgence in states like North Carolina. Despite the fear of some, many places already have gender-neutral public bathrooms. And existing privacy rights will continue to protect separation of facilities for performing intimate bodily functions. Lastly, Phyllis fired up the churches. Her argument that churches with gender-specific practices would lose tax exemption drove religious groups to join the fray, including the Mormon church. But the First Amendment protects religious organizations from that fate. When same-sex marriage was legalized, religions were not required to change their definition of marriage for their institution. When birth control was legalized, religious organizations were not required to change their beliefs regarding those practices. Even today, churches that refuse to marry same-sex couples or religious hospitals that refuse to provide reproductive health care still receive tax exemptions. Ratifying the ERA, for better or for worse, will not require churches to change their beliefs or gender exclusionary practices. Phyllis's scare tactics capitalized on the fears of women. In a period of the 1970s when society was rapidly changing, Phyllis used violent and racially charged language when talking about the supposed horrors of the ERA. But if we tie this constitutional noose around our necks, then women have forever lost these rights and benefits. While most of Phyllis's old battles have been lost, two holdups still make conservative anti-ERA activists lose sleep at night. Abortion access and trans rights. Here's her daughter, Anne, again. 
I believe that some of the arguments of the 1970s are still quite valid today. So, for example, my mother showed what a strong connection ERA has with abortion rights. And I feel that the reason why ERA has come up into the fore today is because the abortion proponents are worried that Roe v. Wade may be chipped away and they want to have a constitutional guarantee uh, on abortion to make abortion rights more secure and particularly taxpayer-paid abortion rights. Uh, so I, I think that is, that is a strong reason why ERA should be robustly discussed in the nation today because abortion is a hot-button issue. There are people strongly for and there are people strongly against. And, to, and I view ERA as a sneaky way of putting these rights into the Constitution that will just cause even more tearing of, of the fabric of our society because it is such a hotly debated issue. First off, there is nothing sneaky about abortion being a constitutional right. That was decided out in the open in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. What the anti-choice movement wants is to take away that existing constitutional right. And no right is without limits. Legislatures will still be able to regulate health care if they can prove there is a compelling reason to do so. Also, in 26 states, they already have state ERAs in their constitutions. And nowhere is, quote, abortion on demand the law of the land. Opponents of the ERA like Anne also argue that the ERA would support trans rights. That's true, the amendment would. Anne shared her mistaken and problematic perspective on that subject. I think that's one. I, it, ERA is not just about one issue. Because of the vagueness of the language on accountability of sex, ERA would put sex in the Constitution. And I don't know how to define sex today. Uh, sex is a word with a lot of different definitions. And the interchangeability that happens under ERA, that you have no distinction on the basis of sex, is much more than male and female. It is also other aspects of sex. So we have now the rise of the so-called transgender movement, where men masquerade as women and take advantage of things for women. Uh, I mean, for example, there was the Washingtonian magazine had the top most, uh, you know, 100 most powerful women in Washington uh, recently. Well, two of that of those 100 were men who were pretending to be women. Now, there's no advantage to women for transgenders to have women's rights. And I don't see that we should have constitutional protections on the basis that you want to cross-dress. For me personally, I want the ERA because I want it to protect my basic human rights and also the human rights of all what I call marginalized genders. So I think it's a good thing that that would include transgender people. Transgender people are some of the most marginalized in our society. So I don't I actually don't want the word women in the Constitution. I want it to protect all people. Usually concerns about trans inclusion are couched in, quote, I don't think we should add this amendment because we don't know what will happen, 
and there could be unintended consequences type of language. But when the framers of the Constitution approved the Bill of Rights, they had no way of knowing the potential consequences of it. Granting more expansive individual rights was an experiment. In fact, Federalists opposed ratifying the Bill of Rights because they feared procedural uncertainties. Expanding and protecting the rights of people of all genders is the whole point. Anne is rallying activists in the name of conservative values just like her mother did. But the amendment is fighting to address inequalities that affect all women, regardless of political affiliation. I would say that my mother experienced sexism. She just reacted to it differently. She never let it color her life. Her response to when someone was sexist towards her was to ignore it, move on, and make her own way. And because what my mother was not was a victim. She never wanted to think of herself as a victim, and she never wanted to be portrayed as a victim. And there were plenty of men in the Republican Party, for instance, who didn't particularly care for Phyllis Schlafly. But that had no effect on Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly was arguably one of the most influential political figures of 20th century American politics. But she never received an appointment to any cabinet, and she never won an election. Here's Professor Katherine McKinnon again. You know, she was an expert on aspects of national defense, specifically particular forms of warfare. And she was also very politically prominent, and one certainly would have thought that, that she would have been appointed to something. Phyllis Schlafly was a walking contradiction. She was living feminist values while speaking against legislation supporting women's rights and opportunities. But the Stop ERA movement was successful. Phyllis gave many women validation that their old way of life was okay and even better than what feminists proposed. She provided comfortable women with the well-articulated cover to ignore powerful social movements of the 1960s and 70s, racial justice, gender justice. Her arguments sound familiar today as we look back to 2016, and particularly the voting patterns of white women. President Trump himself expressed his gratitude for Phyllis Schlafly's work at her funeral. The legacy will live on every time some underdog outmatched and outgunned, defies the odds, and delivers a win for the people. The idea that so-called little people, or the little person that she loved so much, could beat the system, oftentimes the rigged system. You've been hearing a lot about it. That's the romance of America. That's the story of the mother and the patriot that we honor here today. In the 1970s, Phyllis was successful in recruiting women like my mom and my grandma to fight against the ERA. The Mormon church was heavily involved in many of the states that failed to ratify. In Nevada, Mormons spent their family home evenings distributing anti-ERA literature and asking people to vote against the ERA. 
an estimated 90% of Mormons registered to vote in Nevada and turned out to the polls to defeat the referendum. In Virginia, Mormons generated 85% of the anti-ERA mail sent to Virginia legislators. In Missouri, Mormons attended city council meetings and opposed the endorsement of the ERA to the Missouri legislature. In Georgia, male Mormon leaders organized the Relief Society, the women's organization, to write letters to Georgia legislators. Approximately 14,000 Mormons in Georgia produced 250,000 letters. In every state where the Equal Rights Amendment failed to be ratified, Mormons had an outsized influence on that defeat. The conservative forces at play turned the tide just enough, and in 1982, the ratification deadline for the ERA came and went. After coming so close, the Equal Rights Amendment was not added to the Constitution. Phyllis Schlafly may make a good scapegoat, but the forces that killed the ERA were larger than just one woman. Here's feminist icon Gloria Steinem. Well, I would love to blame Phyllis Schlafly, but I have to tell you in my heart, I don't think she's really to blame at all. I don't think she's really changed votes. She is just an excuse. She's a kind of cosmetic. You know, I mean, they, they're going to vote against it these anyway uh, for their own economic reasons because equal pay is expensive. Mm -hmm. And they need to have a woman to make it okay. She just happens to be the only nationally known woman who's against the Equal Rights Amendment. She's like, she's also like a kind of artificial creation of the Fairness Doctrine, you know, <laughs> because every time they got somebody who was for the Equal Rights Amendment, they had to, they thought, get somebody against it. They didn't know anybody who was against she's, it, so they would get Phyllis. Phyllis certainly had an impact but she herself insisted that she always did the bidding of men. Phyllis did not kill the ERA. Men did. A man added in the poison pill deadline to the preamble of the 1972 ERA bill. A man brokered the deal to extend the deadline in 1978 to only 1982, knowing full well it would be too little time to remove the anti-ERA state senators from office and get it passed. In every state, men held the majority of seats in state legislatures. Despite public opinion in favor of ratification, 15 states refused to do so. When I first met Sonia Johnson, who we discussed in last episode, she said she refused to debate women publicly. Sonia said that she thought it painted an untrue picture of who the fight was really against. If a news network tried to put her opposite a woman on stage, she walked out of the studio. Foot soldiers for the patriarchy help win the battles, but they are not the generals. They are on the front lines, but they never actually have the final say. Phyllis Schlafly gave male legislators the cover they needed to keep women out of the Constitution. She didn't want women to be conscripted into the U.S. military, but she drafted them into her own war against equality. As a defector in the battle to keep women out of the Constitution myself, I often feel a tinge of sympathy for my former side, the Phyllises and the Anns of the world. They are smart, accomplished women who defy gender expectations and stereotypes. The damage they inflict enrages me, but it also makes me really, really sad. I feel a little bit of a heavy heart 
um, because I just, I wish all women could work together and, and find some solidarity um, to work towards the same goals and not work against each other. Um, and it makes me sad when I have to debate other women about something that I really don't feel like benefits them. You know, I, I feel like the people that inequality benefit are men. And so I should be debating men, you know. Here's the problem with what you set up there. All people of a certain um, kind don't always all agree. So all women are not going to agree any more than all African Americans are going to agree, or all Hispanics are going to agree, or any subgroup that you want to think of. They're always going to be differences of, of opinions among people because we're individuals. We're not a monolithic block uh, a group. I feel like the one thing we should be able to agree on is that we should be treated equally under the law. I think we are treated equally under the law today. We're not. That is a concrete, measurable fact. And the arguments peddled by Anne, her mother, and the rest of the anti-ERA movement helped cement that reality. Still, Schlafly's side did eventually lose its war on equality. The United States has made significant progress since the 1970s in making laws more equal. Despite the fact that the ERA failed, the fight for gender equity continued and excelled. Activists pushed on, fueled by the handiwork of a supreme lady who needs little introduction, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We'll dive into what came next in two weeks. In the meantime, we're gonna take a break from history to talk about what's happening right now. Next week, Tune in for an update about what's happening with the ERA live in 2020. We'll get back to how we got from failure to resurrection. But trust me, we are living in the midst of constitutional history in the making. And you could have a real impact. Ordinary Equality is a Wonder Media Network production, edited and produced by Liz Smith, executive produced by Jenny Kaplan, with support from Edie Allard. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Wardell. Special thanks to my employer, Equality Now, an international human rights organization that works to protect and promote the rights of women and girls all around the world. To learn more about what you can do to support the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment, check out equalitynow.org backslash E-R-A. If you like our show, please subscribe and rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Wonder Media Network is a women-led podcasting company dedicated to lifting up underrepresented voices based in New York City. I wanted to share with you a new show from some of our friends. It's called Sunstorm, hosted by Ai-jen Poo and Alicia Garza. Ai-jen and Alicia are two of the leading activists in America. And the show is all about how women help each other stay joyful and powerful amidst the chaos of life today. Each week, they talk to their friends and sheroes about their inspirations, their squads, their guilty pleasures, and what it means to fight and win. 
Subscribe to Sunstorm wherever you listen to podcasts. For too long, history lessons have glossed over the truly essential contributions women have made to history. That's part of why I started this podcast and why I partnered with Wonder Media Network to produce the show. They have another show in their network that I really think you'll love called Encyclopedia Womanica. Every weekday, host Jenny Kaplan highlights remarkable women from antiquity to today who have shaped our society forever. The best part is each episode is only five minutes long. The bite-sized episodes pack painstakingly researched content into fun, entertaining, and addictive daily adventures. Subscribe to Encyclopedia Womanica wherever you get your podcasts.